Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Imagine like going to a bar when we were in, in, you know, when say I was like 10, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and you met me at a bar, I would just be another sort of cool chick. But actually that day I delivered four babies and I'd been running around blood and amniotic fluid on my clogs and I'd gone home and changed into my, so it's, you know, you can't, but of course, like with anything, when you do it a lot of times, you can become depersonalized from it until something mm, serious mm. is happening and it's something like in that moment there's a mother that's about to die or there's a baby whose life's at risk um, I think in general you know again doctors are humans doctors are humans everything mm. becomes mm. and when you have to do work so intensely and so hard you become a bit like a robot but every time mm. that mm. moment when a baby's about to be born you're almost you're present again Life is made up of millions of tiny moments. I believe that one of our tasks as humans is to be present for as many of them as possible. When we reflect on the unforgettable events or incredible memories in our lives, zoom in and there will be these little moments before or after the event that sit in our heart space. The moment you knew things would never be the same again. The hour you felt the shift. The minute that saved your life or the second that changed it. These are the moments that build movements. Sometimes they are global, and other times it's just the simple first step to change. Join me as I uncover these moments with my inspiring, innovative, and extraordinary guests. Hello everyone, I'm Emmeline Mondo, and this is Mondo Moments. In this episode, I speak to the exceptional Dr. Stephanie Cuckoo, She has over 15 years of clinical and research experience and has trained and worked at the NHS and HCA as a surgical oncologist specialising in women's cancers. During her clinical career, Dr Cuckoo sat on council for the British Gynaecological Cancer Society and was awarded numerous international travelling fellowships. Dr Cuckoo is also an angel investor and sits on a healthcare investment committee advising on dill flow and due diligence. She contributes to advisory boards across the health sector and provides advisory consultancy to a range of organisations. She is currently a senior advisor and consultant in clinical AI at the World Health Organization's Department of Digital Health and Innovation. Now, when I think of Dr Cuckoo, I think of her essence and I imagine spring fields and daffodils and tulips. When I met her at a dinner that I organised, 
I was moved by her gentle yet sturdy presence. She was very fabulous, but also just very grounded and intriguing. But I know that you don't become a doctor by just being floral and light (laughs) and like daffodils. I know there's a lot of hard work to become who she is. I wanted to get to the soul behind the science. And so I asked Stephanie to come and join me for a few moments. I hope you enjoy this. Thank you for joining me, Stephanie. How are you? Great. It's so nice to be here. I love that introduction. Tulips, I think. (laughs) I love what you said about gentle and sturdy, because I do think there are gentle moments, but most people don't see the gentle moments. I think very few people can pick up on what's underneath the surface that we all put on. But yes, Mm. there is some gentle in there sometimes. Well, I mean, on that, because I, when I was writing that, I thought, oh, I wonder if she'll hate that description thinking I've got hard shit to do. Why is she, why is she saying that I'm like tulips and daffodils? But I mean, I feel with you a sense of lightness that I think is really difficult to cultivate when you work in the profession that you do. So I, I would actually like to start with that, you know, being a woman, um, in science, in tech and with your medical background, how how was that and how have you explored that that feminim, femininity in such a masculine I world? I love that question. It's so interesting. I'm currently trying to write about my experiences within medicine and science and why I eventually sort of transitioned out of being in hospitals. I think that, I, I don't know if you know what, what the, the trends are now, but women are actually um, more likely to be drawn to science than they ever were before but actually in healthcare which is also which is seen now more as a caring profession um in the old days it was more of a sort of noble man's job um and I think things are changing the perception of what healthcare is healthcare isn't science and men in suits and surgery healthcare is now more holistic and preventative or at least that's where we're trying to get to so it's interesting because of course when I went to medical school all the way back in gosh 1998 it was it was very without realizing it was very much of a different culture it was a different time it was before Mm. I think the internet came in whilst I was in medical school and wow wow wait that's such a that's really big, right? So all of your studying was done with physically going to do yeah, the research, to the get library. the books. And I, think the library. I recall the fourth year of medical school using the internet. Um, and it's a really interesting story because the first time I remember using the internet was to find help. And it was through that process that I found a mentor, a woman who's still my mentor today. And it's really interesting because at the time, just going back to your question, thinking about my place in healthcare, in, in medicine, and deciding at that time, I think I want to do surgery and I want to do cancer. Then thinking, can I really do this? It's such a male, white world. And mm. Sorry, sorry to stop you. Can we just go back to that? The moment when you decided you want to do science and you want to go into the medical field, were you, what age were you? God, I think I was about 16. But, you know, we can all debate now looking back um mm. whether we truly we don't decide i mean the, the the age at which we decide what we want to start our lives with what career we want to start with is the case for some of mm. us um or the age at which you pursue 
an interest or a vocation or a passion or a skill you already know you have. It's really interesting mm, now, mm. thinking back, looking at the world the, the way it is now and thinking, how can you decide what you want to do with your life at 16? When I mean, I barely knew who I was at 35, let alone at 16. <laughs> but for me, it was 16. And that's because science was what I was good at. I was, you know, I had a very creative yeah. mother who had a doctor father who wasn't at all impressed, which is very the opposite of sort of African families. are supposed to like love the whole lawyer, doctor, banker. Yeah, but my mother, yeah, yeah. You know, in retrospect, I think she she rarely saw her father, and you know, clearly he had a very unhealthy relationship with work, and 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 that projected that really kind of didn't do very well for him and family because he was a mess family wise, but he was a very successful doctor. So, in many respects, he wasn't my inspiration at all. I just felt that I was only good at science, but I was really interested in the in in, in the creative world. But that if I did medicine, at least I'd be helping people. At least I'd always have a job. I remember thinking that it wasn't kind of, yeah. this is a calling I want to do. It was kind of, it was more, what am I interested in? What is safe? What am I good at? Mm, Science. Mm, mm. Uh, what is safe? What's a good profession? What is seen as noble? What is, you, you're, I was influenced not by, because I didn't know who I was, but I was very much, I can say this now, looking back, I was influenced by what I thought would please people around me what would motivate yeah. my parents to like invest more in me I mean I, I don't know it's a really tricky one now looking back and thinking about I'm still feeling mm, that one I want mm, to do mm. I'm not and I'm just yeah. getting started so it's it's an interesting question I don't know I can answer it so so you arrive at medical school and you know let's say you're because it, it's five is it five years or years. you can do an extra year um but it, it was five years I was at Bristol um yeah it's five years. five years in and how does it feel to be let's say in the in the last year um you know having seen your fellow classmates and knowing what you've learned are you feeling excited as you know, a, a young medical student, like to step into the world, or are you already kind of thinking, I don't know about this no, space? I, if, if I if I recall, I was I was excited. I was excited to be a doctor. I was excited to not be a student anymore, and I was excited to really go in and be on. I hate the word frontline, but just do things and to be practical. Earn <laughs> money. Yeah, so five yeah. years of medical school, you're kind of you know you're ready to sort of be an adult. I was excited. And I know a lot yeah. of people who worked who within the first two years, the, the first year kind of felt like, okay, this is okay, but it's not all that it's hyped up to be. And there's a lot, they knew then this is a lot of self-sacrifice. Okay. So let's do a, a super fast forward because I know from the 15 years experience that you've had within the NHS, as we've described, and now stepping into the role that you're in, you've had a myriad of internal shifts, external changes. Um, and I want to know, I want to know about the point that you were, you started to think that it was time to leave the NHS to, to leave the role that you had been in and what, and the visions that you had. It's such an interesting question because, you know, the journey was one that took a lot of time. You almost have to, I, I never started, and I think this is so important when I look at the world now and people who come to me, a lot of young women come to me for advice, not just people in science, people in tech, people who are building businesses who want, who are looking for investment. You know, they want advice to 
what how to plan their careers. And I think that one thing I always say is I never thought about the end point. Whether you're an actor, whether you're Mm. a lawyer or a doctor or a banker, there is always this sort of, I need to get to partner. I need to become this. I never saw that. The lead. And it's so funny because one of our mutual friends, the girl, Yomi, who introduced us, always said, and, you know, I think back now, looking retrospectively, she says, I met you, we met at the hairdressers. I met you, I just... I just yeah. looked at you crossing you and I just thought, this girl just looks so free. Yes, yes, this yeah. is a wonderful, because yeah. It's so funny, I didn't know that. I didn't know for a long time that within me there was this sort of very, someone who worked and functioned in strict order, someone who needed structure, yet that structure had to be within a sphere of chaos and possibility and creativity. And so medicine is wow, an interesting wow. one because it is chaos, yet it is order. Because I chose to do women's health, and yeah. we'll come to talk about women's health later, because I chose to do women's health, I spent my mm. 20s and early 30s mostly delivering babies. I don't know if you've read that book, This Is Going To Heart. Mm. It's from a very male perspective. Mm. It's, it's kind of, it's very raw. You're seeing women of all races, ages, you're delivering babies, you're, it's night shifts, it's intense. And at some point halfway through, I mean, I always knew I wanted to do surgery. And of course, you do see cesarean sections and that surgery. But I always knew I was interested in cancer. So I went into women's health actually really knowing that I wanted to look after women with cancer. But you have to do the the whole journey. And there is something Mm -hmm. about looking after women that makes you mirror. Look look in, look for yourself. Look for yourself within the context of society and women's roles you're delivering babies every day you're a young woman from 26 and then 28 and then 32 imagine that's your job to look after see women in fertility clinics to see women with with sort of period problems who are talking about how it affects their work or their relationships and as a woman every day you're trying to define who you are and so as time went on yeah yeah. I just wanted to enjoy the experience. And that's why I did things. I traveled. I lived in Paris. So I went to see medicine and women's health in other places. But ultimately, as I drew to the, what would be the pinnacle, like, okay, right, I made partner, I'm a consultant. Or, you know, you hear so many actors yeah. say you win the Oscar and then you suddenly get this downer. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard so it's, that. It's a crossword, <laughs> you know. We have to you know, kind of think that, you know, someone aspiring to be an actress and someone aspiring to be a, a doctor, a surgeon, is it really that different? Yes, medicine is very old school, it's very male-dominated, but how is that different in the acting world? The gender pay gaps in medicine, the gender pay gaps in acting. It's interesting, but I think that the shifts happen when you start to look for yourself. It's something that when yeah. you start to look for yourself, and if, like me and a lot of young women are is is the world is it gets more complex so we talk about modern women the modern woman shot herself in the foot because it's all so confusing you want everything but as you start to truly Mm -hmm. look for yourself not who you think you should be not who society thinks you should be who you truly are which is based on your experiences your passions your loves your learning your then there is a natural course i think it was oprah that said people ask her about that moment and she says something like, and I so related to it because at some point I was doing something magnanimous. I was looking after women. I did, I was cutting out cancer. I was helping these women. 
But inside there was some, there's a force dragging me in the opposite direction to sort of find more. It didn't mean that I was completely moving away from where I was, but I was thinking what I had Mm. done and what I'd learned. And I was sort of expanding it in a different realm, in a freer realm. Mm. I I try and Mm. speak in a way that whatever you do, it relates. We're all the same at the end of the day. Seeing that connect is incredible. I want to just take you back before we move. You've, You've opened up like a beautiful box there. But that process of birthing babies like like seeing babies come into the life one of the reasons I I just want to zoom in to to you having been someone who's been there a woman who's been in the room for that is I I always imagine that childbirth is the one moment where where science and spirit like are actually present and you can't deny you know sometimes you know faith people who are extremely spiritual people who are really sciencey can clash but I think everyone can agree like in those moments there's a complete merging of having that deep scientific understanding of what's going on but knowing that there is something greater in the room to to cause life and um you know you've touched on it a little bit but did you feel did you always feel a sense of that or did it quite quickly become you know another birth another you know another baby's in the room or did it always kind of take your breath away Um, it takes your breath away you feel the responsibility and the weight it's mostly amazing and uncomplicated and of course as doctors we would be called in when things were sort of going wrong so your my memories are that once the novelty and the amusement of what went on. I mean, imagine like going to a bar when we were in, our, in you know, when, when say I was like 10, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and you met me at a bar, I would just be another sort of cool chick. But actually that day I delivered four babies and I'd been running around blood and amniotic fluid on my clogs and I'd gone home and changed into my... So it's, you know, you can't... But of course, like with anything when you do it a lot of times you can become depersonalized from it until something Mm, serious mm. is happening and it's something like in that moment there's a mother that's about to die or there's a baby whose life's at risk Um, and I think in general you know again doctors are humans doctors are humans you know everything Mm, becomes mm. and when you have to do work so intensely and so hard you become a bit like a robot but every time mm, that mm. moment when a baby's about to be born, you're almost, you're present again. And that's the difference. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you do know, you know that it's a completely spiritual, natural moment that isn't perfect. So the science is on standby. That isn't the science perfect. science is on standby. Yeah. And sometimes it's just, you know, I remember once this woman coming in the middle of the night uh, you know, she had a bit of pain, but there was no bleeding and the, the, the tracing, the, the baby mono. There was an instinct. I just knew that something mm. was wrong. It wasn't sort of the signs, open signs there weren't scientifically enough to, you know, say this woman, this baby needs to come out. But it was, there was some science, but there was also strong instinct that something was wrong and we took her for a c-section and I opened up and the baby was swimming in blood you know she'd had something called a placental abruption where the placenta comes out so I mean that kind of thing and sometimes you, there was a, a, a brilliant obstetrician I worked with Bryony and I remember once she said something like you know obstetrics delivering babies it's 80% confidence and and just believing in the process 
20% fear. Mm. It's interesting. The fear. And you know, for me, the fear is this is something higher than us and science. That's why you have to have a fear because anything could go wrong. Even things beyond yeah. our control with all the, you know, the science and the monitors to see what's going on with the baby and to deliver it, you know, things still go wrong. So it was great. But, you know, yeah. again, I never wanted to deliver babies. I wanted to look after women with cancer. So to do that, having yeah. that respect and responsibility and having to go through that, understanding women. And again, if you think about it, how can you treat women with cancers without really knowing women's cancers, ovarian cancers, cervical cancers, without understanding the true yeah. role of those organs that have ne- then turned to cancer to the other side. Does that make sense? I yes, like to call absolutely. It the reproductive lifespan of a woman. So I looked up babies and then mm. the bits in between of sort of looking after women's health and then doing cancer, which yeah. was always my interest because I'm a bit of a nerd and I want to do cancer research. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I loved it. I mean, just got to a point where I felt that, as Oprah said, I felt a force pulling me in another direction. And you have to listen to that yeah, force yeah. because then if you don't, your potential, and again, society just defines people that by their role descriptions. Your life is a summation of the experience and how much of the nooks and crannies of your personality and your soul that you've opened up. You know, if anyone had told me five years ago when I was like, I love my job, I'm cutting out cancer on women, I'm saved. There's a girl who is a friend now, and she was my age, 37, when I took out her ovaries, tubes, uterus, because she had a cancer. She was my age. I was taking out the organ, a woman who would, wow. knowing she would never have children, she was my age. And I think I was like single at the time thinking, oh my God. Mm. Yes, yeah, sometimes it's about fulfilling your potential. And it doesn't mean ticking boxes as society says about success it is finding things you wouldn't otherwise find in yourself if you don't go off tangent in this one part yeah yeah. i mean we need doctors look at look at us we need people who are on one path forever those are the noble pride you know the people who are who made the vaccine who are you know but some Mm. of us are not one path what i call you know unidimensional some of us want polymaths with yeah got different callings I would like before we move on and I know we're getting closer to the big you the shift within self and I can't wait to get there um that I think a lot of people listening to this would have been affected by by cancer um and it yeah it's a dis-ease that is so rampant across the globe and of course you've worked with it intimately and um you know in great detail throughout your career what are your thoughts about the possibilities of change about how we are treating and dealing with cancer in the mainstream medical field and by that I mean um the chemotherapies and all all of the therapies that are currently used in hospitals do you believe that we're very close to that changing into something that looks like way less cancers than we're seeing? I think, I mean, that's such a difficult question to answer. I think that, you know, one in four of us will get some sort of cancer. Why? That's such a high yeah, statistic. It? It's, it doesn't, it doesn't feel okay to, I find it hard to but accept can, that. If you think about it, cancer is mostly, in the most part, let's take away the childhood leukemias, in the most part, 
cancer is mostly a disease of aging. So if you think about things degenerate, you know, our, our joints degenerate, we get arthritis, you know, our skin ages because of the sun and other things, we get laxity, things degenerate, the cells mm. start to malfunction so that you get more mistakes in them. But ultimately, is has there been in the last century an acceleration of that aging, degeneration, um, transformation of of cells into malignant process because of what something that we're doing. You know, look at look at the big nuclear disasters, you know, and look at this the, the chemical induced cancers, for example. We know that certain things are more likely to cause cells to go awry. Um, and we also know that even though we know that there are some genes, I did an Instagram post the other day about Angelina, Angelina Jolie's um, mm. uh, ge- genetic and inheritable risks of breast and ovarian cancer, which is why I decided to take out a breast and ovaries. Yeah. But at the same time, in the grand scheme of things, if you look at all the cancers, most people don't have gene. It's it's environmental. It's diet. It's pollutants. It's toxins. So are things changing? Well, I think. People are more aware of their health. I think the medicine is finally realizing that it needs to move out of the old ages. I think the pandemic is going to be a huge tipping point for prevention. Like why we were, you know, yeah. prevention, investing in things, mm. diagnostics to really pick, pick things up super, super early. Um, making sure that that is mm. universally available. You know, we know cancer treatments aren't equal. I mean, nothing is equal in this world, you know that it's universally available because you can reduce cancer risk in some parts of the world and and not in other parts. So it's so the experience, say, if you were in a private hospital um, in the UK versus the NHS, are you getting the same treatment as someone who's paying? I think that because private mm. hospitals don't collect their data, it's hard. But look at the states, insurance systems. You can't compare outcomes because but mm. in general, treatments are fairly the same what the nhs aims to do is offer the best available cost-effective treatment you know chemotherapy has been around for a long time and that's what's happening now is we're seeing more innovative treatments and experimental drugs come in 10 years there might be something that completely throws chemotherapy away but it's about time that there is something else other than chemotherapy and i I think we're getting there you know there are things like immune modulating anti anti anti-cancer therapeutics um, things that are probably available already on this experimental level for some, but by the time there is the research evidence and it is made affordable, it would be more available widely. So I think cancer is one that, again, I, I'm very hopeful that this pandemic has made people realise what we should be investing in. Both on an individual level on and, individual you know, level, government level. Yeah. population level, on a system level, on a policy level. It's all about government. Yeah. I mean, you spend yeah. billions on yeah. defense. Yes, you have to protect us against enemies. Um, but a tenth of what we spend on things that aren't as important as our public health. Um, if anyone could go right. back now and say to any of the international governments, oh, you could foresee this pandemic, this virus that was going to change all our lives, they would have invested more prevention and, and communicable commun- 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 diseases. Exactly. So it's... Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, cancer—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a heavy one. Yeah, it is really heavy, and I—it's also difficult to sort of begin to unpick in a in a surface way. I know there's so much you can say about it. I'm going to ask you another 
possibly quite difficult question to ask in a short amount of time. Again, I'm just thinking about what people might be thinking about in this moment. Knowing what you know and what you've gone through, is there, um, whether it's a way of living, a lifestyle choice, apart from smoking, which is obvious, something that you think people often miss out on in regards to preventing or being an aid to avoiding any sort of extreme um, situations with with cancers or disease, particularly women, um, but also everyone. Um, is there any? I think stress is a big one, but I'd love to know what comes to mind. That sort of chronic low grade stress at the moment with the pandemic. Um, there are some things you're not going to be able to manage. I think there's some things that some people can manage better than others. I, I manage stress better than mm. the person who can't afford to have a coach, to have acupuncture, to have a massage, you know. So, I mean, stress is a difficult, it's so difficult because it's a, it's a conundrum. The people who are less disadvantaged and less privileged will always be at higher risk of ill health. We sit. Oh. Let's be yeah, really, really yeah. honest. A, a good doctor, a doctor friend of mine in San Francisco, when we talk about health inequalities, he'll say things like, but Stephanie, the access to good housing, good food, and good education aren't equal. Why do you expect health outcomes to be equal? And he says this, this is someone who runs a big yeah. food charity in a, in a downtown San Francisco. Yeah. So he's somebody who understands the problem, is trying to help. The fact is mm. that there are so many levels of trying to say on a, on a, on a collective population level, yes, um, there are things that we could do, health education awareness, but on an individual level, it's individual. Your risk is very much based on your class and race and ethnicity and geography and postcode. So what can we all do? We can live, try and live a balanced life, uh, a healthy life as, as, as healthy as possible. Um, are you, do, do we, we meat or? I don't really any views eat. On that? I eat everything except pork and marmite. <laughs> I, said, I, I hate which is actually not that true because i do eat white bread sometimes and he went great so i'll make you a pork and marmite sandwich it sounds wonderful <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh that is oh hellish um that's so funny white bread and marmite and pork that is like i'd say my top three most hated things <laughs> now that you've said them together um, I'm, I like, think oh. I'm, I'm I'm very balanced and I, I'm not a big fan of alcohol but occasionally I have a drink you know and recently in the last sort of three months I you know I have say a drink a week but in general I am balanced I think I think exercise has been the thing that I have learnt in the last two years is really important I walk everywhere yeah. but I don't do that exercise that is about Muscle strength, strength. releasing endorphins mm, in mm. your brain so that I'm less anxious and stressed with all the work that I have to do. Yeah. You know, a lot of people don't. Some people are just they're used to exercise. You know, I do try and do yoga now, and I walk a lot. I've always walked a lot, and that's enough. But some, I now see the need for this sort of cardiovascular. I love getting on the bikes and cycling, but again, that depends on weather because of my hair. Even my, even my <laughs> partner is white, my white friend. People, you understand the hair thing. It's so fun for anyone who knows me to see me suddenly jogging. You know, as a doctor, we'd say there were certain, certain groups of people who are less likely to exercise, you know, 
middle-aged yeah. yeah. Arab people. My mother is the classic, you know, those kind of people. We're like, you know. Yeah, yeah. And even my mother was like, yeah, you know, my gym guy's coming to the house. I'm walking, walking. She I calls love my it. personal trainer her gym guy. So, I love it. So, yeah, so I, good. Again, it's, it, it starts from prevention, starts from the individual. And you can't tell me mm-hmm. there are people who are living on nothing, that aren't trying their best to live trying to live healthy lives you're not going to be able to manage the stress if you have to worry about where your Mm. next meal is coming from but there it's Mm. so vast to think about it I don't want to be exclusive in that sense and say it is obvious that it is not hard if you are in a position relative privilege just do the best you can yeah you can is balance yeah balance diet exercise you know I grew up on a really crappy diet and now I'm balanced, but yeah. you wouldn't find me eating processed meat from a package, you know, or I, I try mm-hmm. my best. So we are in the realm of the body and getting into the body. And I really want to like begin this delving, delving deeper into your shift. So when we last spoke, I said to you that um, when we first met at the dinner and you were, um, I think you were just about to leave you're planning your exit for at the NHS, yeah, maybe. Um, Was this March 2018, International Women's Day? 2018, exactly. Um, and, you know, you were, you know, as, as any doctor is, most doctors are really in the science, you know, having a, a deep gratitude for what the work that you've done, but wanting to, to shift and break out into your own projects, your own business. Um, but one of the things I was curious about was your sort of like spiritual practice and that everyone who knows me, I'm always curious about like, are you meditating? Are you yogaring? Um, and it feels as though, particularly when I connected with you recently, there's been, um, a connect back to this sense of spirit, um, and a growth and a change there. And I wonder if you want to touch on that. I could be wrong. Yeah, but- I mean, do you know, I think 2018, there's always that year where your life truly changes, isn't it? Thank you for listening to The Delivery Room, Our Wombs and Life with Dr. Stephanie Cuckoo. There is so much more to come in part two, so please stay tuned. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please remember to like, share and subscribe. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.